Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 123 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thanks so much for joining me, you guys. Today, I have a really exciting episode for you. I have Dr. Jessie Mahoney back with me. She's been on the podcast a few times, and she guest coaches in Stress Eating SOS with me. And she's talking about relationships. So relationships are a super common issue that keep coming up in Stress Eating SOS and with the physicians I coach as a driver for eating. So you get frustrated at your partner of some sort. And relationships, the stuff we're talking about can apply if you're in a close relationship, an intimate relationship, or also like work-related relationships too. But you get frustrated at somebody and you want them to change and they won't change. And ultimately that ends up with you feeling out of control with your eating. So if that's you, then today's episode is for you. It's a really good one. I want you to make sure you listen. And speaking of stress eating SOS, the doors are opening next week. So you'll have your chance to come join us in stress eating SOS starting next week for the April group. If you are a physician who struggles with stress or binge eating, I really hope that you consider coming and joining us. It is a really awesome program. We have a lot of coaching directly with me about stress and binge eating. We have sessions that are specifically for binge eating. I know that that's a little bit different and requires a bit of a different approach to coaching. So if you struggle with binge eating, there are coaching sessions specifically for that in this program. And then we have a group of amazing guest coaches like Jesse, who come in and coach on their areas of expertise. We have coaches coming in about relationships. That's Jesse. She also coaches about parenting. We have coaches coming in on topics like charting and sexual intimacy and money. And the combination of it all, it makes for a really powerful program where pretty much anything that's going on in your life that's creating stress where it makes you want to eat, we've got coaching for that in Stress Eating SOS. So mark it on your calendar. The doors are going to open April 1st for registration. I really hope to see you there. If you have any questions about it, send me an email, info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. All right, let's get to the interview. Welcome to the show, Jesse. I'm so excited to have you back. Thanks so much for having me. All right, so we are talking relationships today, which, as you know, is a big thing for a lot of physicians, a big source of stress, which is then a big source of stress eating. <laughs> Absolutely. It's one of the biggest sources of stress eating, I think, unhappy relationships. Totally. You get frustrated with your partner and then have still stuck with them for the rest of the evening. <laughs> and, and then you eat to deal with it. And one thing that strikes me is we have those frustrations also when food is accessible. At work, we may have frustrations and the food may be less accessible. But at home, when you're feeling frustrated, the access is much higher. Absolutely. Yeah. So that it's easier to use the food to cope 
with the stress. So tell me why you got interested in coaching around relationships. For a couple of reasons. One, I'm a pediatrician. And so I see relationships impacting all the generations, not just the parental relationships, but the kids and seeing the long-term impact of relationships and seeing how kids respond to that. So that piece is a passion. I think relationships have so much to do with our health and happiness and well-being. And we know from a lot of studies that relationships can significantly impact your longevity and the quality of your life. But also personally, in that I have a very long marriage and a long relationship with my spouse, as it sounds like you do too. But we've had some challenges along the way. And when I found myself struggling, I found coaching to be a magical solution and to get me out of that space of wishing everything were different and wanting to change things that I couldn't change and learning how I could sort of be my own solution or take back control of the situation and find relief and peace without necessarily fixing things that I couldn't fix or waiting for things to get better. Yeah, I think that is kind of the revolutionary part of using coaching about relationships because we're so used to thinking for relationships to get better, two people have to change versus the coaching approach is actually you can make changes and your partner doesn't need to, and yet things can still get better, which I love. And what I love is they do get better. And I always tell people, when you change, everyone around you changes, whether it's your parenting, which I know we've talked about in the past, or your intimate relationships, because you create space. And in that space, the other person begins to show up differently. Once again, it's not in our control how they show up differently, but it usually shifts things and makes space for change. And even if they don't, you feel better because you've made the changes. You feel a bit more in control of that you can make changes too. Like it, when you think you have to wait for the other person to change, it doesn't give you any control in the situation. Yeah. And so I like to focus in relationship coaching on, well, and all coaching on what's actually in your control and having a whole bucket of things that are not in your control and realizing that another person's behavior, especially if they're an adult, is not in your control. And when we try to control things that aren't in our control, that's where the anxiety, frustration, stress eating comes. (laughs) And what's in our control is us. And so when you get down to it, it's your thinking about things. It's what you say and what you do. At some point, you can decide in a relationship if you want to leave. It isn't that you wouldn't change something, but it's being really clear about changing yourself and showing up as the best version of you and giving yourself the things that you need, and then deciding whether or not this is something that is what you want going forward. But not sitting saying, it'll be something I I want if my husband behaves differently, or if this gets better, or if he helps me with this, or he shows me that he loves me. Yeah, so let's talk about that in more detail. Like, why doesn't that work? The sitting and thinking, because it feels so true that, okay, I would just feel better if he would just do X, Y, or Z. My big, my big frustrating thing is that my husband, and we've been together for since I was 16, but he cannot touch a tea towel without balling it up and leaving it sitting on the countertop. And I can tell you, I know it sounds so simple, and yet I have spent a lot of frustration <laughs> on the darn tea towels on the countertop. 
And so let's talk about why, like that example seems so simple, like just leave the tea towel where it's hung or hang it back up. And yet why doesn't it work for me to get too worked up about how he handles tea towels? <laughs> it sounds so silly when I say it First out loud. First of all, because yet- you're miserable <laughs> and you're making yourself miserable over a tea towel. What he does with the tea towel likely doesn't have anything to do with you. So your brain is making it mean that he doesn't care about you. And he likely doesn't care about the tea towel. And maybe he doesn't care about a clean kitchen and lots of other things. And it may be that he's distracted or it just doesn't mean the same thing to him. And so when we put all of this energy into a tea towel, then the relationship has all of this drama and energy and wasted time and energy is what I like to think all over a tea towel when you could be connecting. And sometimes probably not over a tea towel, but sometimes our partner can't do it. Say they have ADD. It's not even that like they might want to put the tea towel away, but for whatever reason, their brain just doesn't work that way. And we want them to do it because it would mean that they loved us. And so he might be trying really hard to put the tea towel away. I'm guessing if you've been together that long, he's tried and it just doesn't work. And so what's in your control, because he's an adult, you can ask him to put the tea towel away and maybe he succeeds. But if he doesn't, you get to decide what to make it mean. And why not make it mean that something kind to yourself and not that he doesn't care about you or he doesn't care about hygiene in the kitchen or whatever it might be that he's lazy. That doesn't really serve anyone. So that strikes me as like, tell yourself a good story. And it isn't that it isn't important because we have these things that just annoy us, but focusing on them doesn't make anything better. And so focusing on the things that maybe he does do, if you make the tea towel mean, what do you make it mean that he doesn't put it away when you see it there? I've done a lot of work on this on myself, so it doesn't bother me that much anymore. But man, it used to. What did I use to make it mean? Like, I think kind of like he never listens to me and I always have to clean up after him. Yeah, it's the I always and he never never listens. (laughs) Yeah, and so... In what I would suggest is like, how does he listen to you in other ways? What other evidence do you have that he listens to you? And that can help remind you of the things that are working in the relationship or where does he do things to contribute? Exactly. And that's what I like did work on the kind of seeing, but the other piece that I worked on, because I realized when I was in this headset about the tea towels, like he never, and I always thinking about it, I was also ignoring the things that I never and he always (laughs) like, and I think it's true in any relationship that there's everybody has those things, right? Where one person does something more than the other. And when I was only focused on the things that I thought I was doing too much of and that I didn't think he was holding up his end, I was then not seeing all the stuff that he was actually doing a lot of. And I just was taking for granted and had no interest in actually holding up my end of it. I work with so many people who discover it's about their own brain and they have been missing all these things all along that would have made them feel the way that they wanted to feel. And so when you feel, it sounds like you thought he wasn't listening to you. And so we would say, well, how is he listening to you? And how can you listen to him? He may be giving you a similar message. And how can you listen to yourself? that maybe you need some extra relaxation or less focus on the tea towel. Like, so it just helps you sort of flip. We call it the manual in relationship coaching, what you think the other person should do. And so your manual was that your husband should pick up tea towels, but you can pick them up and 
he should be listening to you and you can listen to him and you can listen to you. And then when you start to show up that way, all of a sudden, all these little things just evaporate. The snow globe sort of settles and there's much more space for con- for connection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like back when that used to really bother me and when I started using like a coaching approach is you realize how much that takes it away. Like, you you know, you go into the kitchen to cook dinner and then you're like, oh, where are the tea towels? Oh, there it is, balled up on the counter. And and then you get frustrated and then your partner comes in and then, but you can't talk civilly or nicely to them because you're frustrated about the, that you found yet another tea towel on the counter. And so, yeah, it just... Two strategies, you know, that might work there that go beyond the tea towel, but they could help with the tea towel. And it's always nice to have just a little simple example is accepting, but not liking, realizing that probably after all these years, 20 years, he's probably not going to change his habits about tea towels. And it's probably not about you. And you can accept the fact that he balls them up and not like them. You don't have to love that he just leaves them there. You don't have to think it's fantastic. You can just be like, oh, he's leaving that tea towel again, but without making it mean something heavier than that. And then the other question I use a lot in relationship coaching is this idea, I actually use it with patient care too. What would love do? And what would love do if there's a balled up tea towel and you're trying to make dinner and you have three kids and all kinds of stuff is happening and it's busy? Love would probably for you and for him, maybe let the tea towel go. Love would just hang the tea towel up. Yes. Not make a big deal out of it. I find that question helps me just step back and like breathe, like, oh, what would love do? And it's so obvious in the moment. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and I've used, like I use this example of this T-Tel because it seems so silly, right? Like when I look back at it and yet my memories of those times where it used to bother me, like it created friction. And I think this is true in a lot of relationships, right? Is there's these little things that feel big in the moment when you're not like kind of doing the coach uh, coaching approach on it and then they snowball because then if I'm focused on the tea towels then I'm focused on the other stuff where he might be leaving stuff around or where I feel like he's not listening to me or like it just honed my brain to look at all the things that would frustrate me and then I spent my days and evenings feeling frustrated instead of enjoying our time together. When we talked a little bit about this in the beginning of your relationship, you didn't look at all the things you were frustrated about. You looked at all the things that you loved about him and what was amazing. And that's available to you many, many years into a relationship. And even when things aren't going well, there are still things that are going well. It's not about Pollyanna or just sort of letting things slip under the rug, but realizing that it helps you feel connected and helps you move forward in a more easeful way that serves both of you, but mostly it serves you. And so if you can then feel better taken care of in the relationship, then things work better. Mm -hmm. Maybe expand on that for people to understand. Because again, I think that might be hard for some people to understand on how they could feel better taken care of without the other person taking different actions or changing. And so there's a couple ways to think about it. One is what can you do for yourself? So very often we want someone to do something to show us love or to make us feel loved. And so realizing how you are loved and showing yourself love, doing that yourself so that you're coming to the relationship from a much more whole place, you actually feel better. 
So nourishing yourself first. We so often want someone else to bring us flowers. And I actually have a habit of buying myself flowers at Trader Joe's whenever I go. It's like, it's just my thing. I don't now need anyone to buy me flowers because I take care of it myself. And if my husband were to buy me flowers, it would feel lovely. Um, He doesn't now because I just, I'm always buying flowers. It's just a thing. I think it's this idea of how can we nourish ourselves? And so since you do so much eating coaching, I often talk to people about ways other than food to nourish yourself. So a hot bath, buying yourself flowers, a nice walk on the beach or a walk in nature or even just three deep breaths can be very nourishing. And for some people, like clean sheets is one of my favorites. So finding things that feel good and doing them for yourself. We so often don't do that. And then we're just in this empty space where we're so desperately needing something that feels good that we look at the other person and we want them to do it. And they may or may not know that we want them to do it. And they may or may not be able to do those things. And sometimes they do them and they're not right is very often a thing. (laughs) So when you do it yourself, then you can show up from this clean space where whatever they have to offer, you can accept. And you're not in a space where you need them to do X for you to feel okay. Yeah. And I think that brings up a really common situation for a lot of the physicians in my stress eating SOS program in that when you struggle with eating and when you've had stress eating often, and probably even a lot of women that don't have those issues, we have difficulties loving ourselves and loving our bodies. So we often want somebody else to do that for us. Like we want our partner to make us feel better about our bodies or about ourselves. And yet, if we can't do the love for ourselves first, we don't actually accept it or receive it from the other person, right? Like it's really common where somebody has really bad body image and they're really struggling with that. Their partner can say all sorts of nice things about their body and yet their brain will just disregard it. It'll be like, oh, he's just saying that because of, he or she is just saying that because of whatever or that's not true. They don't know all different kind of qualifying statements. And so I really like that idea of loving yourself first in any way. And then it makes it easier to accept things from a partner. And that gets into so many relationships not working because if we don't feel whole or we think we're broken or someone brought this up recently, this idea that as many women physicians, we're addicted to suffering. And it's not in a terrible way, but it's just like we're trained to look for the bad things and we're trained to be fixing. We're trained to be working hard and not being enough and always sort of being at the end of our rope. And that's been, that's all we know. And so it's extremely hard for us to show up for another person and just let them shower us with love and send the love. And so they may actually be doing it and we don't see it. Sometimes I also hear from people, well, I want them to do it this way and not this way. And they don't necessarily know that. And we are married to someone who is an independent human or we're partnered with someone. And so they may show love in a way that's different than you think they should, but it doesn't mean that they don't love you and it doesn't mean that they don't show it. So you have to be open and willing to accept it, whatever it looks like. And you're much more able to do that when you're not coming from just a totally empty cup and an empty space. It's like by caring for yourself first, you have almost resilience in your ability to kind of view things in different ways. Like you're more open to seeing a different angle if they're coming not quite in the way that you wish they would. The other thought that just popped up is this idea of judgment. And when we judge, 
we tend to, as women physicians, <laughs> judge ourselves quite harshly. And so we also judge everyone else harshly. And when we let go of that judgment and we accept ourselves as we are, then we can accept others as they are. I do think it's really hard for many of the people that I work with to love themselves. I just want to comment on that. And so I often suggest starting with, can you just not be mean to yourself? Start there. And then you can get to kindness. And then you can maybe get to compassion. And then you can maybe get to love. Or for some people, compassion is accessible earlier on, but realizing that there's a continuum and we're all at a different space along that. And there's no rush to get there. And there's nothing wrong with you if you can't love yourself yet. But realizing at least maybe you can make a commitment to not be mean to yourself. Because when you're mean to yourself, you also see everyone else and all the meanness everywhere. That's what you see and that's what you live. And so then your relationships tend to not function as well as they otherwise might. I think that's a really good point in that you're right. Like most physicians I coach when we talk about self-love or and definitely like loving your body, like that is a real, real stretch because we're not taught that. And if anything, we're kind of taught the opposite to just, you always kind of have to make sure you're measuring up to the next person and there's always going to be competition ahead and stuff. So yeah, working on just not saying as mean of stuff to yourself as what you may already be doing. You just reminded me of something that came up this week. I teach a lot of yoga to women physicians. And I had gotten the comment from several people that they love Zoom yoga because they're in their own box. And you can try it. And it's a great time to start because nobody sees you. And there's no one to compare yourself to. And that in that box, you're very safe. So it brought up this idea to me that what if we could sort of show up in life as if we were in that box and a safe box and a safe zone to try things and to accept ourselves and see what we could do. And then what occurred to me is this idea that we often tell ourselves, okay, I will do that, but I will put blinders on and I will just not look at anybody. And it's this very like forced protective cocoon. And for me, that doesn't work very well either, because then I'm just in that resistant phase and spending a lot of energy in that just tough spot. And so what can work is really digging into what is special about you or what is unique about you. So not that you're perfect or not that there aren't things to be fixed, but what's sort of your strong suit or your essence, something about you that you really appreciate or your uniqueness or your, I have someone who's able to focus on her momism. She does these mom things that are just really cool that her kids notice that like a lot of the other moms don't do around holidays and celebrating them. And so just tapping into what may be sort of your special sauce or your secret thing that you, many of us can tap into it and find something, even if it's unusual and use that as your source of strength. Yeah. And and find the good. And then you can apply that to a relationship too, right? Like what are those special things in your partner that maybe if you've been spending time feeling really frustrated and tired, especially, you know, I'm thinking of the early years when our kids were little, there wasn't a lot of mental space to think about the good stuff with your partner. You're just surviving, right? And so if you're in that space where you're feeling really tired, like spending a little bit of time focusing intentionally on what are the cool things about them and, and what's letting your brain in the relationship. I had mentioned to you, someone asked me this question a while back about whether my relationship was amazing. 
And it's a fantastic strategy to spend some time thinking about, well, is it amazing? What's amazing? And you'll find little bits about it. And all of a sudden you start looking for all those amazing things and the not amazing parts just aren't as visible anymore. And so spending some time paying attention with intention is what I like to say. So that's being mindful without judgment, all the key components of mindfulness around your relationship can all of a sudden shift something that's really struggling and uncomfortable and constantly frustrating into something that feels much, much better. And so let's talk about some common scenarios that come up when you've been coaching within my group. The one would be two parents with differing opinions on approach to parenting and that creating stress. How can you handle that within a relationship? So the first piece is something we talked about, which is that you each get to do it your own way. And as the woman mom physician, we usually think we're doing it right. And we might be doing it right, but that there isn't necessarily a right. And so just looking at your husband, partner, dad of the child telling them they should do it differently doesn't usually work. And so allowing them, and I talk about this accepting and allowing, not fixing or changing, letting them be them and you be you, and realizing that your kids will get something out of it. One of the key thoughts that's very helpful is you married this person usually, or you chose to raise children with them because they are a good person. And so tapping back into the fact that you picked them to do this with you and they may not be doing it how you think they should, but there's probably some good stuff there. And in fact, the kids may be learning some really valuable lessons from the way that they do it. And I find that gives people some spaciousness to step back and breathe and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Because I think a common concern is like, what if my partner's approach to parenting is in some way harming the kids? because they're more disciplinarian or maybe yell more, raise their voice, that it's going to create harm to them. And that has actually come up a few times. And my thought is generally, first of all, it's not, but we are worried that it is. And so you could also equally well ask yourself the opposite question is, what if it brings some other facet to their growth and development that my parenting doesn't? Now, if it is truly bringing harm, i.e. like physical discipline or pain, obviously that's different. So I often talk about like if it's child protective services worthy, obviously you're going to speak up. But if it's just your version or the versus their version. The other thing is realizing that relationships are long and our relationships with our children as parents are long and our relationships with our partners are long. And so each little moment, the impact of each little moment is very small. And oftentimes, if you let your partner jump in and do it their way, they come out and say, oh, maybe that didn't work so well. Let me try it a different way. And 99% of the time, no long-term harm has been done. The temper tantrum might have gone on longer. But if we look at our own behavior, we have our own fair share of temper tantrums with our own parenting. And so it tends to be, again, the judgment piece. And so we judge ourselves as a parent. And so we judge them and giving everyone space and grace and compassion to show up exactly as they are without fixing and changing them. Assuming you've married a decent person, which most people have and chosen to co-parent with a decent person <laughs> and that if there is clearly visible harm being done. That's different. I think that judgment piece is a really good point because along the same lines that we've talked about, about that kind of often women physicians feel like we're not measuring up 
in multiple different areas. Parenting is a really common one, right? Where we've talked about this before, but where you have the mom guilt that you're probably not doing it quite right or other people would do it better. And then, yeah, the fact that if you're judging yourself and questioning everything you're doing, you're more likely to then be judging your partner or the people around you on how they're doing it. And the reality is nobody knows what the right way is. And when you feel like you're falling short, your standards rise. It's like, well, I might not be showing up perfectly. So we need to parent perfectly in the moments that we're there and making everything mean so much more when that's where this long haul of parenting and long haul of relationships, I think that view can be really, really helpful. So from the parenting standpoint, my oldest is now about to be 25. And I see that my relationship with him as an adult is hopefully, if we both live a long time, going to be a lot longer than the time he was with me as a child. And we often think that those years are like, each moment is the most important, but realizing you have this long, long time to be with your children. And I think my impact now is almost as important, but perhaps even more important than it was when he was 10, to be honest, in in the respect that I show and the way that I interact with him and the way I show up for he and his life and the choices that he's making. And so same thing with your relationships, right? Whether your partner put, crumples up a tea towel or in my case comes to lunch with a ski hat on, like given that hopefully you're going to spend 50 years with this person, it probably doesn't matter, even though your brain is just telling you that you don't like it. And I think a big piece of it is we're trained as physicians to notice all the things that might not be right and might need to be fixed. And so in our relationships, it gets us into trouble. And in our parenting, it gets us into trouble. And we judge ourselves so harshly. We judge everyone else so harshly. And then we miss the moments. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Now, another sort of somewhat common issue that's come up in the program questions is, what if you're not sure if this relationship's going to work? Like, what if things have gotten to the point where you're like, you're not sure if you actually want to stay or go? How do you handle it then? So at that time, it's really, first of all, getting yourself to a point where you can accept the other person exactly as they are. So you're not blaming them for not doing it your way or doing it this way or being this kind of person. They are who they are and you are who you are. And the relationship is exactly as it is. And often that happens around perhaps they're struggling with a mental health issue or perhaps they're just their approach to life is very different than yours. And so what I like to say about when to leave is what I call it, is when you've done the work to say that this is the relationship exactly as it is. It's not that person's fault or my fault. It just is. And then the thought is, well, to stay, I would have to do so much self-coaching all the time. And that's not what I want for my future. Or I just want something different. And I don't say that in a glib way, like, well, just because I want something different. But sometimes we're not in the right place and it isn't the right relationship and it isn't healthy for us. And so you might say like this relationship, even exactly as it is, and even when it's not this person's fault, is just not the right thing for me in my life. And we do all only have one life to live. And so we sometimes get into coaching thinking, well, I just need to keep change my thoughts. I just need to keep changing my thoughts. And you don't always want to change your thoughts. Sometimes you actually want to change the situation because it's better for you or it's healthier for you. And being able to see that 
from a clear standpoint where once again, it's not because the other person doesn't do X or Y, but because this isn't where you want to spend the rest of your life. And then you get to choose, well, this is what I want and this is why. I really like the concept in this that it's from Burke Castillo, but basically that relationships can just come to completion. Like it doesn't mean that I think in our society, we're kind of taught if these long-term relationships are things that we're taught should be long-term and that's uh, romantic relationships, but it also can be friendships and stuff that they should just keep going on and on. But sometimes relationships just come to completion and it doesn't mean it was wrong to start. It doesn't mean you never should have been in it. It just means it's run its course and it's finished. And I like that concept in that it takes away guilt or if that's a place that you end up, it just has a much more kind of peaceful, accepting feeling to it than it's over. It reminds me of that thought. It's I've just done enough of that. I'm ready for something new. So sometimes that's an easier way. I've done enough of that relationship and I'm due for something new. And that doesn't have to be, it's not a failing. It's just a moving forward. I think if you're still thinking of it as a failing or a problem or guilt, that that doesn't serve anyone. Well, if you're ending a relationship and that's where you want to be ending it from a very from as neutral place as possible, realizing that most of the time we got into our relationships thinking they would be long-term. And so if they're not, you can be disappointed. You can wish it turned out differently and still think that you need something different. And I don't think one is better than the other. It's choosing your choice and owning your choice. It can also be worse to stay. It reminds me of some of the work we do around mindful minimalism and sometimes keeping something if it's not working is more harmful than getting rid of it or there's a cost to staying and a cost to leaving. And so realizing that if you've done the work and the cost to staying is very high, you can choose, but realizing that you take your brain with you wherever you go and that's why you want to have done the work before you go to realize that it's not because they're not doing X or they're not doing Y, but that you very much want something different for your future. I think that's a really good point. And I think that's really interesting because it applies to so many different things. Like it, yeah, it applies to intimate relationships, but it also applies a lot to work. Like I've worked with a lot of physicians that are thinking about leaving or making a change at work or changing practices or that sort of stuff. And I've been through similar stuff in my own practice. And I think it's a really good point in that, yeah, there's a cost to the change. Change is never comfortable. And yet there was also a cost to staying in the exact same situation where you weren't happy and it wasn't working. It was taking a lot of work to stay there. And so just not thinking it's going to be better somewhere else, just realizing it's going to be different, but you will still be the same human. And so you need to clean up your thoughts so that if you can be happy where you are now, you can be happy there. It doesn't mean that one is better than the other. I think we also look to change situations to make the discomfort go away. And I know Brooke Castillo talks a lot about discomfort. And there's discomfort where you are. There's discomfort in the change. And there's often discomfort where you end up. And so thinking that you're going to find a spot that's totally comfortable A new relationship is often comfortable in the beginning, just like your original relationship was comfortable in the beginning. 
but it won't necessarily stay comfortable unless you decide and choose to notice how it's comfortable. That's where your power and your control are in your thoughts and how you experience any relationship. Absolutely. What are some other tips or kind of common scenarios that we haven't covered that people might be wondering about? I'm thinking just this idea of telling yourself good stories. We often have a lot of stories I hear from people in their relationships about how they got here and how they were wronged or how it didn't work out. And you could equally well tell a story that makes you feel good and look good and makes the relationship look good. And so the power of stories can really help you in terms of finding connection and moving forward and not hanging on to the past as realizing sort of what the difference between the facts and the stories are and choosing to tell a story. Sometimes too, we just need to let go of the story altogether. A lot of people carry a lot of resentment about things that happened in the past and they carry it with them and they carry it with them. And I offer this idea of you can put the heavy backpack down. You can always pick it up later. So you don't have to say like, it's just, I've completely moved on, but that you don't have to carry it with you as a chip on your shoulder or this heavy weight that you move forward with. And you can choose to put it down, especially in long relationships. I think things always come up. We have Every relationship has disagreements, times when you wish someone had done it differently. And when we carry that with us as a negative story, it can impact our ability to stay connected and see the good going forward. And so choosing with intention what your story might be. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a really good point to, and like you said, in any longer relationship, there are always stories that can come up very quickly at the drop of a hat, be reminded. So reworking some of those ones or identifying the ones that aren't actually working for you and seeing if there's a different way to tell the story, I think can be really powerful. Well, the mindful piece is noticing because we often don't even notice that it's a story and realizing that, oh, actually it was just a fact, but I made up this whole thing about why it was and what happened and what I thought of it and what it meant. And so you have to see that before you can let it go. The other tip that I often talk about is thinking about how you want to feel in your relationship and choosing that with intention. So many of us want to feel love or feel connected and starting to think thoughts with intention that make you feel loved and feel connected can be a really powerful tool. Or maybe you want to feel calm or maybe you want to feel present, tapping into exactly what it is you want to feel and then choosing specific thoughts that help you feel that way that are true, not made up thoughts. But you can always find some if you sit and really dig deep, even when things aren't going well. You can start to find thoughts that are true about your partner. Sometimes you have to go around. And so you may have to sort of notice maybe how your partner's a good father or how he shows love in this way or find things that they do that you like and appreciate. They're a great physician or an employee or they're a great human wherever you might find it to start to see that, but to choose these thoughts with intention that give you feelings that you want, rather than asking, he should make me happy, or this would, these acts would make me feel loved. Deciding you want to feel loved and thinking thoughts that make you feel loved, and you'll start to feel that way. Then you show up differently, and then there's space for everything else to shift. And I find that our partners, when we give them the space rather than asking and wanting and coming from a a space of need, all of a sudden 
things start to happen very differently. And it's like, oh, that just happened. How did that happen? It's something you've wanted to happen for such a long time. And when you give the space to let it happen, things shift and emerge. I think that's a really good place to wrap up on. How can people find you? They can find me at my website. I run a coaching business called Pause and Presence. And my website is jessiemahoneymd.com, Jesse with an I-E. And I also come and guest coach in your program on relationships and parenting. So they can find me there if they choose to sign up for that. And for anyone who is interested on my webpage, you can sign up for my blog in which I write tons about approaching relationships. And you can also, as since I mentioned the yoga piece, join me for yoga. There are links there to sign up and join me for yoga that way as well. And then you also have a podcast that's new. I do have a podcast called the Mindful Healers Podcast. And we actually had a recent episode on mindful love talking about relationships as well. And so that would be another resource if you're struggling with your relationship and you want to find some more tools and tips and tricks for that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jesse. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. That was so much good information in that interview with Jesse. I hope that you've got everything you need to start figuring out any relationship stuff that's bothering you. The big takeaway point is recognizing that focusing on what's in your control within a relationship can make a huge difference, even if the other person doesn't change. Uh, so give it a try. Let me know how it goes. You can send me an email at info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And I'd love to hear how it's going for you, how you're making use of these tips from Jesse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button. It really helps the podcast get found. And if you could share this podcast with somebody else that you think might find it helpful, somebody else who might be struggling with relationships, then that would be really helpful for the podcast overall. All right. Have a fantastic week, guys. We will talk to you next week. Bye.